Welcome to the Waiting Warriors podcast. As loved ones of first responders and military personnel, we often face life situations and challenges that many others don't experience. And while each of us and our experiences are unique, together we can learn from one another and become stronger in this journey of life. Now let's step out of mediocrity. It's time to thrive. Hey, Waiting Warriors, welcome to another week on the podcast. This week we have Suzanne Johnson. She is a nice and fresh Navy wife and a financial coach. Welcome to the show, Suzanne. Thank you for having me, Michelle. I really appreciate it. Of course. So you are a fresher spouse, and I think it's fun to get, you know, we've had people on the show who have been 20 plus years, and then some, I think we had one that was just like a few months, and it's I, I like having a lot of different perspectives, but I know your entry into this military spouse life has been different. Let's let you explain. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how you kind of became a military spouse? Yeah. So uh, I am older. Uh, I am now 36. Uh, and my husband and I met in San Diego. I am actually from New York originally. And several years ago, I just decided oh, I'm going to move to San Diego. Uh, no real reason. I, when people ask me why, I just say that I was bored of New York. And I had one it's friend. Beach. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm from I'm from that area. So there's a big reason why you would move there. Yeah. I understand that. <laughs> well, I think everyone thought it was weird to move to a place where you didn't have any family or to move, especially cross country. Uh -huh. And, you know, if you're military mm -hmm. and you have orders, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's why you're going there. But for a single girl with her dog to pick up and drive cross country, people were a little like, okay, that's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. So I was there in San Diego and had, you know, I had had a life in New York. I'd had a life in San Diego and I had been previously married. And uh, I was, um, I purchased a motorcycle after meeting a bunch of San Diego people. It's a very big bike culture out there. I purchased my own Harley Davidson yeah. after taking my motorcycle class there. And I met my husband at the San Diego Harley Davidson dealership. I'm sure some of your listeners will have passed it. It's on Morena Boulevard. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's one of the largest dealerships in the country. And I walked past this guy sitting on a red bike, same particular color as mine. It was a darker red. And I just started talking to him. He was parked right near the front door of the dealership. And it turned out that he was in San Diego for uh, only maybe about like eight weeks of training. And to be honest with you, I don't even remember what he was being trained for. And right after that, he was heading to the Virginia Beach, Norfolk area. And he actually ended up finishing his training and taking three weeks of leave at the end of it so that we could spend time together and Ooh. to get to know each other better. Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite the whirlwind little romance there because we knew we weren't going to have a lot of time. Um, we yeah. again had both been married previously. So we were, um, pretty cautious. And actually I remembered this earlier this morning when I was like, okay, I'm going to talk to Michelle tonight. I should tell her the story about what my husband said when we first met. He said that he was done with women and that his next oh, girlfriend oh was going to be a boat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. So I. He is an aging man, though. Exactly. So that, you know, has snowed too far off. Yeah, exactly. So I completely screwed up those plans. He definitely has not bought a boat since then, FYI. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that was January of 2018. He left uh, in April of 2018. And we got engaged in August of 2019. And we had pretty much only spent about eight to 10 weeks in close proximity of one another. We had not lived together. We had not even, mm -hmm. you know, lived in the same apartment complex or anything like that. We hadn't even lived in the same state. So we got engaged yeah. in August, married in October, and we actually didn't live together until March of this year of 2020. So we did a lot of waiting. Oh, <laughs> oh. so how, I mean, how do you, like, has that been harder since you, you know, you were older, you had a whole life set up, you know, like a number of us, I know, like, there's many different stories in the military spouse life, but a really common one is we fell in love young with a soldier or somebody who quickly became a soldier. And like, we were young, but like, you had a life, you had habits, you had even just, um, you had your own rhythm. Mm -hmm. And the military doesn't really go with everybody else's rhythm, you know? Um, so like with a new relationship and coming into this whole new thing, how did you handle? Yeah, it was tough. Everything, uh, um, your control. Yeah, you know? it's definitely giving up the control. And I think you make a great point. A lot of the military people that I ended up meeting when I moved to San Diego, um, I had military members in my family, but no one in my my nuclear family, not my dad or my brother or anything okay. like that. And so I had some exposure to it, but not anybody who had ever gone in and made it a career. Um, so it was definitely different. And the people I met in San Diego tended to be younger. Um, I had a really good church out there and there was a lot of military members at that church, but they were all, like you said, like early 20s um, and had been married mm -hmm. since they both turned 21. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. it was uh, it was definitely kind of a culture shock for me to learn about all of that. I think having been in San Diego and having been exposed to those people in advance of meeting my husband was a huge deal because I got to live mm -hmm. through some of those deployments and workups and, you know, training exercises that other military spouses had to live through before I had to live through it myself. So I got to be part yeah. of the support system for other people uh, before I became a military spouse. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I am a type A planner. Um, and suddenly having to rely on what we call Big Navy to tell us what happens next in our lives <laughs> was a huge transition. Um, I also think that being in our mid-30s made this more difficult um, because like you said, mm -hmm. I, I had a six-figure job uh, in corporate America. I was working in the commercial real estate management field and it was, um, you know, just the thought of having to uproot and move to an area where not only was the cost of living lower, but I wasn't going to make what I was making, you know, previously. Uh, so that was a that was just a, a thought process that I hadn't gone through, in, you know, in the beginning of that relationship. Uh, but I also think being in our mid 30s um, made the relationship part easier. So while uh, the giving up control to the military was more difficult. Um, being more mature in our relationship was nurtured by the fact that we were both older. Yeah. That's really interesting. It's interesting how there's like quote unquote harder things and quote unquote 
easier things. And I only put the quote unquote because it's, I, I love hearing from everybody's stories because I'm learning that those words are so fluid and it's so interesting to me because the more I talk to people, it's like some people's harder things, they other people wish that they had it. And then some people's easier things are like the hardest things for other people. And so it's like with, I don't know, it's just so interesting. And I love that hearing your perspective gives just another story so people can not feel like other people won't understand them. You yeah. I mean? like, and uh, I actually have I know, come across I mean, one other military spouse and simply on social media now that I am a, a small business owner um, as a full-time financial coach, which I moved into before I mm-hmm. left San Diego, I've actually connected with one other um, military spouse who messaged me on Instagram and said, um, I'm not trying to be rude, but you look a little older. Um, can I ask you? <laughs> And it turned out she had uh, gotten swept off her feet by a sailor also um, when she was in her mid thirties and she had to move halfway across the world to be with him. So it's not um, completely unheard of, but she definitely recognized that we were in the minority of uh, people entering the military spouse life at age 35 plus. Uh (laughs) Yeah, it's different. It's got to be a different aspect and just a total whirlwind and different than what you, I mean, obviously different than what you thought your life was going to be. I know it's if your husband was thinking he was going to fall in love with a boat, you know, <laughs> getting married is going to be different. Yep, exactly. He was done. He's like, I'm done with women. It's time for a boat. But uh, yeah, we had, oh, God, God had other plans. <laughs> Let's put it that way, right? Yeah. So with that, though, like, it's funny because he's thinking he's going to just be giving up with women, but then he's, you guys are thrown into this new relationship and it's a new relationship with forced distance. How have you guys handled that? Yeah. So the distance thing is, um, really definitely even people who have, uh, even people who aren't military people and don't really care about the fact that we're a military family. Um, even they are shocked Mm -hmm. by kind of the distance and the waiting that we did. Um, so we were both married previously, as I mentioned, but I really do believe that the forced distance and all of that waiting was a good thing. Um, we used FaceTime um, every, uh, tried to do every single night. Um, and to be honest, it was kind of annoying because he would be going to bed when I would be trying to eat dinner. <laughs> so that was definitely uh, something to, um, uh, to get acclimated to while we were on opposite sides of the country. And we also did a lot of Bible studies together. Um, one of the best ones that we did uh, was 101 questions to ask before you get engaged. And um, we had actually oh, read a, a little short New York Times article called uh, 13 Questions to Answer Before You Get Married. But the 101 questions uh, mm-hmm. to ask before you get engaged definitely has a, a Christian biblical influence. And it forced us to have a lot of the mm-hmm. shorter conversations in in more length. Uh, we got a lot of the confrontational stuff out of the way early. Um, a lot of the stuff we we knew up front we weren't going to have kids uh, because of our particular situation. But we had to talk about his daughter and we had to talk about what it was going to mm-hmm. look like to change his life insurance paperwork over and what it was going to look like to um, you know, make sure that she's provided for if he's no longer around. 
Uh, she lives full time with her mother, so we didn't really need a care plan, but um, we needed to talk about that stuff. And I don't have any kids. So it's kind of awkward mm -hmm. to have to sit down and talk to your spouse about a kid that's not yours <laughs> and how you're going to um, yeah. provide for that kid or make sure that kid has a legacy. And uh, some of the other questions in there were just fun questions, stuff that you wouldn't that may come up eventually. Uh, but that you're not going to think of off the top of your head. So I definitely would tell people, don't be afraid to get a book. And he was, when I would bring mm -hmm. out the book, I, I think people are like, especially women, girls are like, oh, he's not going to want to do it. You know, he's going to be so turned off by it. He's going to think it's stupid. My husband loved it because then he didn't feel like he had to think of the questions. Um, I think it takes the pressure yeah. off of the guys in the relationship for sure, or the person in the relationship who's just more of the introvert. Um, the questions are there in front of you. You don't have to come up with this stuff on your own. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, just like that awkward when you're on the date. And I know it happens even sometimes when like we've been, Austin and I have been married for eight years. We'll go out to dinner and we sit down, order our food. And then it's like, hey. <laughs> what's up? <laughs> yeah, it totally happens, right? And sometimes you're too tired. <laughs> like I, I want to, yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, because it's like I want to talk, he wants to talk, but we have no idea what you know. How do you, how do you pull a, an awesome conversation right. out of thin air? You know, sometimes it happens, but I think it totally helps to have a book. I know when Austin was deployed, I found like this super long blog post, just a random blog post of like, I don't even know how many questions to ask, you know, on a date. And we did, we did a similar thing because it just helps the conversation go and you can continue to connect with each other, even though you're on the other side of the country or the world. Right. You know, absolutely. Yeah. We, um, I'm skipping a little bit ahead of the story, but when we moved me out from San Diego to join him on the East coast, finally, um, we, uh, I got a box of questions that um, I think it was like 80 questions or 88 questions, conversations for husbands and wives to have. And we did the whole box <laughs> on yeah. a cross country drive. It's <laughs> mm -hmm. a long time to be driving. Exactly. And the perfect, dogs though. really couldn't contribute much to the conversation. So it definitely helped. <laughs> yeah. Helps mm -hmm. fill in that awkward silence. Dogs are just thinking, ah. The people are yep, talking exactly. about love again. What's with this? So you mentioned that you guys were able to handle the confrontational stuff um, while you guys were distant, though. How did you guys do that? Because I know that's that's a really hard thing with military spouse life, especially in deployment. And I know you guys' situation was a little bit different because you could talk um, almost every day, and that's not the case. But that's like... How do you face the confrontational stuff when you can't feed off of each other's energy? You know what I mean? Like, how do you do that yeah, and I, long distance? Or I guess, how did, how did you I think um, one of our biggest issues um, in society is relying too much on the text message. I think we aren't able to mm -hmm. um, convey joking, jokingness. We aren't able to convey sarcasm. We aren't able to convey when we're actually mad and the person is just looking at the text message thinking, oh, they're being funny, you know, but no, we're actually really pissed off. Um, so, yeah, if something happened during the day or something had come up and I had gotten annoyed um, or even if he had gotten annoyed with something, 
we might not know that the other person was annoyed until the end of the day when we got on FaceTime and all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, what did I say? Like, I didn't realize I ticked you off earlier. I'm sorry, you know? And then, yeah. So it's almost like having um, a fight delayed, you know, because he might mm-hmm. be texting me, um, you know, he, he wakes up at 4.45 in the morning still with a particular assignment that he's on right now. So 4.45 in the morning, West Coast time is 1.45 in the morning. One. <laughs> so uh, that's not feasible, you know. So if he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, I don't know that when I get up three hours later, or five or yeah, six hours later, I should say, at seven, eight o'clock in the morning, <laughs> West Coast time. Uh, so yeah, we had to learn really fast to hash those out because the other side of the coin is, you know, when you're on deployment, um, you don't really, you may not have a choice to go to bed angry, but we did have that choice. Uh, I do think that's one of the most, you know, overused cliches, but it is definitely um, accurate in some sense. And so we did have the option to not go to bed angry. So we would have to look at each other in the phone and decide if we were just going to hang up and throw the phone across the room, you know, 3,000 miles away, or if we were going to talk it out. Um, we went through a lot during this time. Um, he had um, a lot of family issues within his uh, nuclear family. And I, unfortunately, uh, my mom was sick when he met her. She passed away about 10 months after he met, 10, nine or 10 months after my, after Joe had met her. So it was, um, not the ideal situation. So now I'm dealing with the loss of my mom. He can't come to New York, uh, for very long. You know, he can only be there for a few days. And so I have to handle that on my own. So it wasn't really unlike your longer term military relationship that started in your early 20s. Um, It's just that we've kind of experienced all of it uh, really within uh, two years, Uh, you know, now two and a half, almost three years. But Mm -hmm. um, at the time, it was really about a year and a half. And we had gone through a lot. Uh, So I think forcing, I hate to say forcing the issue, but forcing the confrontation and having the conversations while you can have them um, you have to be grateful for the fact, like you said, that we were able to get on the phone every single night and not everybody can do that. So we had to take advantage of that. Yeah. It almost sounds like you guys, sometimes I get the sense, you you totally see it in like dating in high school in particular. And it, you know, maybe people take it oh, yeah. to extended ages, but like, where people kind of like play the game of how they communicate. And it's, if, you know, you go on a date, then there's these rules and you can't actually say what you're feeling. You say this. So then they don't think, you know, so they think X, Y, or Z. And if you want them to think X, then you say this, and then they'll say this. And Mm -hmm. you do this like dance and you play this some sort of absurd game. When actually it's like way more effective to just actually say what you feel. Totally. And I think that's part of what I was saying, (laughs) trying to say earlier. I think you just, you just fleshed it out a little bit. Being older made our relationship easier. And so, I mean, how much easier is it to have those awkward questions and conversations now than it would be sitting in your home with your spouse and realizing I can't talk to them about money. I can't talk to them about their interfering mother, you know, my interfering mother-in-law. 
Um, I can't talk to them about the unhealthy boundaries that their siblings have or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's way better to talk about that stuff now uh, than it is to talk about it down the line and, and possibly risk your marriage. Yeah. And I think it's just so important for us to realize, like, we are married or you are engaged. Like, if you are going to be in the committed relationship, as much as it, like, for someone like me, I've said time and time again on the podcast, like, I, I don't know if it's just naturally or just the family that I come from, like, I am not a born and raised communicator. I just am not. It's so uncomfortable for me, which I know is so ironic that I have a podcast and I talk to people, but this is like, it is a testament of how much work I have had to do individually to open up. And you have to realize that you are married. You are married. And that just what that means. And if that doesn't mean that you can open up and talk to your spouse, just talk about the hard things, not yelling, not getting super defensive, but just having the honest conversations. If you can't do that, then you need to check your commitment. Like you're, yeah. you're just not going to have an awesome marriage that everybody says they want. If you are not willing to be vulnerable and to be honest with yourself and to be honest with your spouse, it's just not going to happen. Like if you continue to play the, and, and dance around the conversations. Right. And, and you need to get over the, oh my gosh, this is going to be so awkward thing. You know, mm -hmm. like you said earlier, you're like, you're not in high school anymore. Um, yeah. And I, I think of you, if I brought my husband upstairs right now and <clears throat> asked him if he regrets being divorced, even though we're super happy that we're with each other now, we would both say that being divorced is probably one of the number one regrets in both of our lives. Um, because neither of us ever expected to be those people who were divorced and married for a second time. Um, it is, it's very, very difficult. It's something you carry with you for the rest of your life. So, you know, I hate when people say that, you know, oh, you, you can have a trial marriage. That's such BS, you know, like yeah. that is not how you go into anything in your life thinking, oh, whatever, I'll just screw it up and do it right next time. I mean, that's especially yeah. a marriage. You're ruining not just possibly your life and the other person's life, but um, families get integrated. And mm -hmm. to break that apart is really painful. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. I just hope that I, I love your example of just, you are far apart, but you're just not wasting time. You know, like, I think it could be easy and I, I've seen it. I've seen Austin and I have done it a few times. I've seen it in other of my friends, you know, their marriages, like you just, it's easy to think there we're far apart and we just won't deal with it now. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's kind of just the grown up version of the dance, you know? And I, I love that you guys just, you know, you got a book, you, you just let it all out. And then the, and would you, what would, what would you call that? Like eight question or 13 question thing? Was that yeah, a book or just... It was, no, it was honestly, oh, it was a New York times article from yeah, like that. 2000. I'm making this up like 2003. It's not new. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you yeah. just Google like 13 questions to ask before you get married, that's like the super baseline stuff. And yeah. let me tell you, it might actually be easier to go through the 101 questions because the 13 <laughs> questions are like, uh, 
discuss your views on religion go get down to it (laughs) discuss your views on having overbearing in-laws because one of you definitely has overbearing in-laws go you know (laughs) really say that in (laughs) yeah it's like uh it might be easier to talk about you know these cute little 101 questions before breaking into uh one of you is jewish and one of you is christian and you need to figure out how you're going to celebrate holidays right now go Oh, yeah. Let's take the softer one to begin with. So we'll all get the book and then we'll do that. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Last best question of the whole podcast. What is your key to thriving that you want to share with your fellow? So my key to thriving is lists. Um, I need lists. I will not survive. Um, We are big Aldi grocery store shoppers if if most of your listening audience has Aldi yet hopefully you're gonna get one if you don't um Costco or BJ's list to-do list uh, home repairs list etc um if I don't put it down on paper I am going to forget um but that putting it on paper also provides accountability um and I do a lot of accountability coaching as a full-time financial coach now um it is a lot of this is your goal. Let's put it down on paper and let's move towards it. So a to-do list is a short goals list. That's really, it's a, it's a short, you know, most likely more quickly than usual goals list. Um, and crossing the stuff off any list is, has such psychological benefits, man. It's like, you just feel so much better <laughs> when that is crossed off. We actually also have an old school paper calendar on the fridge. Um, hey, yeah, and uh, the bigger the better. Yes, exactly. And at first, my husband laughed. And my my handwriting's atrocious, so it is printed out, but it is still <laughs> it is still on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband laughed at me, and now when he like one of his buddies asks him like, "Hey, can you come over after work today or tomorrow?" He'll be like, um, "I don't know, but I I need to check the calendar when I get home." <laughs> Um, and also this totally plays into what we were talking about having it on paper and in front of people, whether it's your calendar or your to-do list or even your shopping list. Um, it's a form of communication because now no one's wondering, oh, you know, we have some stuff we need to do to the house before we have everyone over for Thanksgiving this year. I wonder what she wants to get done first. You know, now it's written Mm -hmm. down and it says like, you know, paint living room or whatever it says on there and there's it it provides a level of communication that you can write you can put it on paper and you don't have to remember to talk about it the second you see the person it might not be something that needs to be spoken about immediately um so when it's written on paper it's like oh oh this is important to you oh okay well then let's talk about doing this for sure yeah it opens a lot of doors it for sure does so tell us real fast. I know you got to go on a call. Tell us real fast um, where people, if they want to get in touch with you, how they can do that. And then um, give us a little taste of what you do as a financial coach. And if somebody kind of is looking. Oh, yeah, you. absolutely. I And I really became um, 
convinced of leaving my six-figure full-time job <laughs> back in San Diego to do this full-time um, because I worked with a lot of military people. Um, it, I, I currently, I work with civilians and military, um, motivated individuals, couples, families even. I work with entire families uh, to help them develop good financial habits so that they can experience a more stable future and carefree life. Um, this particularly resonated with me when I was in San Diego. Um, there were just so many single guys that I knew and so many families that were struggling to um, develop budgets, maintain a lifestyle that fits within their means. Um, I distinctly remember um, one of the first times I was on base at Miramar, uh, there's limited housing there, but uh, we were there and, and one of the families was in the housing and the wife was bragging that they had a dollar twenty seven in their checking account. And I was like, this is not mm. this is not right. Um, so I, I really turned yeah. it up a notch um, after being exposed to more military people in San Diego, taking it from part time to full time. Um, and I help, like I said, civilians and military alike. Now, uh, we are obviously in a Navy town We're outside of Virginia beach. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I still, you know, work with military families on uh, throughout the country and my website is grace, G-R-A-C-E, financialcoaching.com. Um, and I'm on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, you guys can follow me on there. And I always have some military tips worked in to my social media for sure. Um, and then if anybody has honestly any questions and they just want to talk about their financial situation, I have a free strategy session for a whole 40 minutes where you can just let me know what's going on and what you guys are struggling with. And uh, I can let you know if there's a way to, to work it out. Awesome. Finances are a big deal. And you should know what's going on with your finances. And I will tell you what, there's a big difference in how you and your marriage and your home feels when you have your finances in order and when it doesn't. Yeah. So, and even just to even just to open up the conversation of, that horn. of finances, that's a whole other, we could definitely do another podcast on this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne. Guys, go give her a follow. Please, you know, financial questions or if you are one of those people who entered into this crazy life and you need another person who is in your same situation that came into it older, more mature, all the wiser, all the <laughs> more awesome, then go connect with Suzanne. And thanks so much. Have a good week. And remember, just because it's miserable doesn't mean it has to be hard. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks again, Suzanne. If you love Red Friday, remember everyone deployed like me, but don't love the selection of shirts and sweatshirts that you're seeing at the PX or online, then check out my Red Friday design at teespring.com slash stores slash the dash waiting dash warrior. I'll put that link in the show notes. There are sizes and styles for everyone from your father-in-law to your pet dog. Check them out. And I'd love to see it if you guys ever share a picture on social. Just tag me, The Waiting 